Section 22 of the Science History of the Universe, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Melanie Young. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 6. Edited by Francis Rotwheeler. Botany, Taxonomic Botany, Part 1. The first great division of the plant kingdom comprises the algae and fungi, grouped under the term thallophytes, meaning plants wherein such special vegetative organs as leaves and roots are either lacking or rudimentary. The algae grow in the water, and hence their habits are adapted to a water environment. They are often called seaweeds, but although they are very abundant along seacoasts, they are also found in freshwaters. Some of them are so small that the individual bodies are visible only under the microscope, but others are large, the sea kelp having been known to have a stem 900 feet long. Although all algae contain chlorophyll, and hence are able to make their own food, they do not all appear green, for in many of them the chlorophyll is obscured by other coloring matters. The four great groups of algae are named from the general color of their bodies. The blue-green algae, or the green slimes, form blue-green or olive-green patches on damp tree trunks, rocks, and walls. The name of the group refers to the fact that in addition to the chlorophyll, the cells contain a characteristic blue coloring matter, which does not mask the green, but combined with it, gives a bluish-green tint to the plants when seen in masses. Not all the blue-green algae are bluish-green in tint, however, for the presence of other substances may disguise it, and the color may be yellow or brown or even reddish. The color of the Red Sea, which has given it its name, is due to the presence under certain conditions of immense quantities of one of the blue-green forms. The green algae are so named because the green of the chloroplasts is neither modified nor obscured by other colors, and the plants have a characteristic grass-green color. Some of the green algae are associated with the blue-green algae in the pollution of water reservoirs. The brown algae, of which the giant kelp of the Pacific coast, with a length of 900 feet, is the largest, are all anchored plants, chiefly marine. The first great group of brown algae, of which a small form, ectocarpus, is a well-known representative is distinguished by its swimming spores and its similar gametes. The smaller group, besides the common rockweed, or fucus, contains the famous gulf weed, or sargasso weed, which makes a floating bank of dense weed in the North Atlantic, known as the Sargasso Sea. These differ from the first group in producing no swimming spores, and in its dissimilar gametes, eggs and sperms. The red algae are mostly marine forms and receive their name from the fact that a red coloring matter completely masks the chlorophyll. 
As a consequence, the plants are various shades of red, violet, dark purple, and reddish brown, often beautifully tinted. In general, the bodies are much more graceful and delicate than those of the brown algae. There is the greatest variety of forms, branching filaments, ribbons, and filmy plates prevailing, and often profuse branching occurs, the plants resembling mosses of delicate texture. The reproduction of the red algae is very peculiar, being entirely unlike that of the other algae. No swimming spores are produced, but sporangia occur that produce and discharge spores without the ability to swim. Since each sporangium usually produces four such spores, they are called tetraspores. Floating about in the water, instead of actively swimming, they finally germinate and produce new plants. The sexual reproduction, however, is most remarkable. The sperms, like the tetraspores, are without cilia and simply float into contact with the carpogonium, whose form is like that of a flask with a long, narrow neck. In the bulbous base of the carpogonium, the female cell is developed. In a very simple case, the floating sperm comes in contact with the long neck. The two walls become perforated at the point of contact. The contents of the sperm enters and passes to the carpogenic cell, and thus fertilization is accomplished. As a result of fertilization, there appears on the plant a spore-containing structure, like a little fruit. The spores it contains produce the algae plants again. The fungi do not contain chlorophyll, and this fact forms the sharpest contrast between them and the algae. The presence of chlorophyll enables the algae to be independent of any other organism, since they can manufacture food out of carbon dioxide and water. The absence of chlorophyll compels the fungi to be dependent upon other organisms for their food. This food is obtained in two general ways, either one, directly from living plants and animals, or two, from organic waste products or dead bodies. In case a living body is attacked, the attacking fungus is called a parasite, and the plant or animal attacked, the host. In case the food is obtained in the other way, the fungus is called a saprophyte. For example, the rust that attacks wheat is a parasite, and the wheat is the host, while the mold, which often develops on stale bread, is a saprophyte. Bacteria include the smallest known living forms of fungi, some of which are spherical cells only one twenty-five thousandth of an inch in diameter. It is estimated that 1,500 of certain rod-shaped forms placed end-to-end -end would about stretch across the head of an ordinary pen. Even to distinguish ordinary bacteria, therefore, the highest powers of the microscope are necessary. However, they are so very important to man, on account of their useful and destructive operations, that every student should have some information about them. Public attention has been drawn to them chiefly on account of the part they play in many infectious diseases. Bacteria are found almost everywhere, in the air, in the water, in the soil, in most foods, and in the bodies of plants and animals, as regular inhabitants. 
Many of them are entirely harmless, some are useful, and others are very dangerous. The pure water of springs and wells contains abundant bacteria, while in stagnant water and sewer water they swarm in immense numbers. Reproduction is by cell division, as among the blue-green algae, a group which the bacteria resemble in many ways. This cell division is remarkably rapid in bacteria, resulting in such prodigious multiplication of individuals in a comparatively short time that it is impossible to imagine what would happen if bacteria were left free to reproduce to their full capacity. Bacteria have been observed to reproduce themselves in 15 to 40 minutes after their formation. That is, a single generation of such bacteria is that length of time. It would be interesting to determine the number of progeny from a single bacterium at the end of 24 hours if such a rate were maintained. Yeast are much larger than bacteria and have a more complex cell structure for there is present a clearly defined nucleus. These cells reproduce in a peculiar method called budding. This consists in a cell putting out one or more projections, which gradually enlarge and finally become pinched off. Often, the cells thus produced cling together in short, irregular chains. The chief interest in connection with yeast is the important part they play in the fermentation of sugar solutions, splitting the sugar into alcohol and carbon dioxide, a process also induced by certain bacteria, but chiefly by the yeast. Fermentation by yeast is employed on a large scale in the manufacture of beer, wine, and spirits, and in the making of bread. In the last-named process, the dough is inoculated with yeast plants and placed in a sufficiently warm temperature to induce rapid growth. The plants begin to reproduce actively by budding. The sugar in the dough is split into alcohol and carbon dioxide, and the latter, a gas, expands and puffs up the dough, making it light and porous, that is, causing it to rise. One of the most common of the mucors, or bread molds, forms white, furry growths on damp bread, preserved fruits, manure heaps, etc. It may be grown easily by keeping a piece of moist bread in a warm room under a glass vessel. The sources of its food supply indicate that it is a saprophyte. Rusts are destructive parasites that attack almost all seed plants but those that attack the cereals are of special importance. Wheat, oats, rye, and barley all have their rusts, and in the United States there is a yearly loss of several million dollars on account of the ravages of the wheat rust alone, scarcely a field being entirely free from the pest. Naturally, these parasites have been investigated persistently but while very much has been learned about their life histories and behavior, no remedy has been discovered. It has been found that certain varieties of wheat resist the rust better than others and that varieties ripening early escape serious injury, 
and these facts may lead to the breeding of resistant and early races. The popular idea of a fungus is that of a fleshy, colorless form, such as the mushroom. This name is very indefinite, being sometimes applied to any of the fleshy fungi of the umbrella form, and sometimes including among such forms only those that are edible, the poisonous forms being spoken of as toadstools. The life history of the ordinary edible mushroom of the markets will serve as an illustration. The mycelium of white branching threads spreads extensively through the substratum of decaying organic material, and by those who grow mushrooms is called spawn. This mycelium, although the least conspicuous part of the mushroom, is, of course, the real vegetable body. Upon this underground mycelium, little knob-like protuberances arise, or buttons, growing larger and larger until they develop into the umbrella-like structures commonly spoken of as mushrooms. This umbrella-like structure, however, corresponds to the sporophores that arise from the mycelia of other groups of fungi, except that it includes a large number of sporophores organized into a single large body. Therefore, the real mushroom body is a subterranean mycelium, upon which the structures commonly called mushrooms are the spore-bearing branches. In pulling up a mushroom, fragments of the mycelium may often be seen attached to it, looking like small rootlets. The puffballs are fleshy fungi that differ from the mushrooms and having the spores enclosed until they are ripe. There is a subterranean mycelium, as in the mushrooms, but the spore-bearing structure is a fleshy, globular body containing irregular chambers lined with the spore-producing layer. When young, this body is solid and white, but as the spores mature, it becomes yellowish and brownish, gradually dries up, and finally is only a brown parchment-like shell containing innumerable exceedingly small spores that are discharged by the breaking of the shell. Some of the puffballs become very large, reaching a diameter of 12 to 18 inches. Lichens are abundant everywhere, forming splotches of various colors on tree trunks, rocks, old boards, etc. They have a general greenish-gray color, but brighter colors also may be observed. The great interest connected with lichens is that they are not single plants, but that each lichen is formed of a fungus and an algae, living together so intimately as to appear like a single plant. In other words, a lichen is not an individual, but a firm of two individuals very unlike one another. If a lichen be sectioned, the relation between the two constituent plants may be seen. The fungus makes the bulk of the body with its interwoven mycelial threads, in the meshes of which lie the algae, sometimes massed. It is these enmeshed algae, showing through the transparent mycelium, that give the greenish tint to the lichen. It has been found that the lichen algae can live quite independently of the lichen fungus. On the other hand, it has been found that the lichen fungus 
is completely dependent upon the algae. For the germinating spores of the fungus do not develop far unless the young mycelium can lay hold of suitable algae. Artificial lichens also have been made by bringing together wild algae and lichen fungi. Lichens, therefore, are really combinations of a parasitic fungus and its host, the parasitism being peculiar in that the host is not injured. The fungus lives upon the food made by the algae, and the relation suggested is that the algae is enslaved by the fungus. With the liverworts, a new division of the plant kingdom is entered, known as the bryophytes, possessing archegonia, but no vascular system. Among these, the simplest of the archegonia forms are found. Mosses are very abundant and familiar plants. They grow in all conditions of moisture. Many of them can endure drying out wonderfully, and hence they can grow in very much exposed situations, as do many lichens. In fact, lichens and mosses, being able to grow in the most exposed situations, are the first plants to appear upon bare rocks and ground, and are the last plants seen in climbing high mountains or in going to very high latitudes. Mosses have great power of vegetative multiplication, new leafy branches putting out from old ones indefinitely, thus forming thick carpets and masses. Bog mosses often completely fill up bogs or small ponds and lakes with a dense growth, which dies below and continues to grow above, so long as the conditions are favorable. These quaking bogs, or mosses, as they are sometimes called, furnish very treacherous footing unless rendered firmer by other plants. The conspicuous part of an ordinary moss plant consists of a more or less erect and usually branching stem bearing numerous delicate leaves. The plant is evidently able to make its own food, and it is anchored to its substratum by hair-like rhizoids. Its power of vegetative propagation has been described. At certain times, there appears at the end of the main stem, or at the end of a branch, a rosette of leaves, often called the moss flower. In the center of this rosette, there is a group of antheridia, and archegonia, sometimes both kinds of organs in a single rosette, sometimes only one kind. From the fertilized egg cell of the archegonium arises the capsule containing spores, or sporophyte, from which the new moss plant springs. End of section 22. Recording by Melanie Young.